Good evening, good morrow, and good morning, everyone. In case you don't know, my name is Mikhail Moonstrung, and I love to talk. I love to talk so much that I have my own podcast, my own YouTube channel, just so I can do I can do that. I can talk to the people that feel inclined to listen to me at whatever hour they find it. Now, to be honest, I I create content for a bunch of reasons I think the the biggest and most easily explainable reason that I that I create content emanates from the fact that I won't be here one day neither will you neither will the next person listening to this if it's still here you know the only guarantee we have in life is death and so when I have the opportunity to create content what I look at it as is it's in addition to the legacy I'm leaving behind. People oftentimes quantify a legacy in some financial empire and some mass inheritance, but that's that's not true. Your legacy is what you leave behind you. And all we can leave behind that matters is a lasting impact on the people that we cared about. Now, you could argue that there are other things that matter that we do with our time and our work, and I would not challenge them. I'd say that if that's what you felt like was important, that's really what you should do. But that in time, there are times when when what you have to focus on is innately driven by you and what works with your world and not how other people see it. So when you live your life for your family, when you live your life in service to something other than yourself, to a degree that you're compromising on ideals or values within yourself, you'll find that this unconscious or even quietly conscious level of contention, it manifests itself in really weird ways. So here's a really fun way, fun one for me to think about it, to, to share, I guess. I feel more comfortable sharing my traumas, my life story, my experience with random strangers on the internet than I do with my own family and the people who made me. Now, I don't, it's, it's not something that I, I really like. I, do I want it this way? No. Do I like it this way? Yes. I really do. I enjoy, on a probably a sick level, not having to directly engage with my blood family. At a time there, you know, at times in my life, I just, I, I think that the way that either they chose to respond to me or the way that they chose to respond to situations within life vastly affected our relationship. So for me, in my ADHD, OCD, DID brain, I am so heavily connected to patterns. It, it's almost religious. I mean that in such a way that like, I will observe patterns in people in my world, in my life, in nature, in the stars, 
to such a degree, like it's it's scary. I'll notice habits and trend tendencies about you that you didn't even notice. You'll say the same word two times in one line of conversation in a week, and I'll notice that that was more frequent than you had said it in the last six months I've known you. And I'll attribute that to there being a change in something in your lifestyle. Nine, what's scary is that 9.999 times out of 10, I'm right. Not because I'm right, but because of the the scary thing in my brain that puts together parts of patterns that I can't even perceive consciously. And so as a kid, moving forward and making swift progress towards our destination, our goal, if we were moving homes, if we were... Making new friends, unpacking or repacking. I don't know. I really feel like that's all we did sometimes. It didn't matter what we were doing. Patterns became remarkably critical. And I found that in my in my youth, I realized that, oh, guess what? We move all the time. So it's not as important that I, I focus on being better right now. Because the reality is we're going to move. I'll, I don't need to make friends. Fuck these people. I can be an asshole. I can be a shithead. I can, I can do things that... I don't need to worry about paying for the consequences because we're just going to move. Fuck, I don't, I don't need to make meaningful relationships. Like these were actual thoughts that I had as a kid and I didn't realize that I had these thoughts until I was in sixth grade. Because I was in sixth grade and my mom decided to marry husband number two. And when she did this, she and born again pastor settled here in Joplin, Missouri. Like, fucking God, I'm not there now. Now, I don't, there's nothing against anybody who lives in Missouri. It it I it's not my state. Now I admit, naturally it's beauty, but I just it's not where I was happy to be. And so suddenly we just stopped. We moved all over the place and then out of nowhere we just stop and she finds a relationship and her world starts to turn into move. And honestly, good for her. I was happy she got to, you know, experience life. It really was. What I didn't like was that the pattern that I had learned up into that point was that I got to fuck around and I didn't have to find out changed. And now it was you fucked around and you're about to find out. And fuck me, man. I got into sixth grade in Joplin and I nobody liked me. I, and I mean, God, I don't blame them. I had no fucking social skills. I never stayed anywhere long enough to build or learn them to a degree that was anything other than like protect myself from getting beat up. I mean, I learned really quick. You fight fair, you know, you fight dirty and you do whatever it takes to win. Keep a knife in your back pocket. Like... Little gringo who says, talks shit and doesn't shut the fuck up with a mop top full of hair. Yeah, I got the shit kicked out of me regularly. But you learn that uh, you protect yourself and you just come up. I figured out that if I was the crazy motherfucker, they left me alone. And so come sixth grade, I had zero social skills. I had zero ability to engage or interact with people around me. The fact that I'm talking right now on a podcast that... I create content that I, for all intents and purposes, that I'm an adult educator, trainer, and course developer. Like, fuck me. These are things that young me would have, I can't, couldn't possibly perceive of because of my social stigmatism. I didn't know how to engage with people. Through my youth, I talked through my sister. Like, I I would literally, I would just, I would talk through my sister. I wouldn't talk to my dad. I didn't talk to the, the youth group kid. Like, I would talk to her and she would talk for me and I was okay with that. This worked really well 
I remember the first time I got in trouble, it was in third grade in New Mexico, and I got in trouble for talking. And I came home, and my mom was so happy that I got in trouble for talking. She called my dad, and I, and I talked to my dad, and gave both of them this whole rundown on, you know, like, oh, you were talking to, to somebody, and you didn't. Like, they were just shaken by the fact that I was having, that, that I got in trouble for talking. There, there was such worry and concern that I, I was behind that I had either a disability that my mind didn't work right whatever because I didn't I didn't like people or in talking that when I got in trouble I was praised for it now granted I'm not saying that that led to any of my other issues down the road wink wink it absolutely did but it was it was different right and so when we didn't move and we didn't change this abrupt shift and shake in the pattern of life that I had learned up into that point, it fucked my world up. It really did. No. Like, ironically, so the first friend that I had in middle school was a kid who I tried to steal his spelling paper for. So in Miss Wallace's block class in sixth grade, if you didn't put your name on a paper, which is remarkably common of dipshits to do in middle school... It would go up on the board under a section she had written, no name. Stuck with a magnet or thumbtack or the fuck ever. And it would just go up there. And if you, you know, if you got a zero or you had a missing on your grade book for that thing nine times a ten, she's like, oh shit, did I not put my name on it? You went and checked. You know, whatever that, whatever happened to lead to that point. And I deliberately did not do this fucking assignment and regularly found that I could pretty much just take somebody else's who didn't claim their undone, unnamed assignment, stick my name on it, and be like, hey, <laughs> I'm fucking Albert Einstein. I'll figure it out. And wow, was I a dipshit. You no, know, that was, was uh, yeah, sure. Maybe I got away with it one or two times. But I go to try to do it this time, and oh, boy. Miss Wallace calls both me and another kid uh, by the name of Trevor Conrad up to up to the front and I'm like oh shit there's not supposed to be another person here and so she's a she does that teacher thing she's kind of irritating but it's funny because it's effective and I use it myself as a parent and that's where you go uh, you ask a question with a hypothetical situation you're like I'm gonna let y'all figure it out so she basically goes hey um I have a piece of paper here that has your name on it. Looks at me sus with sus eyes, sussy eyes. But it looks like it's your handwriting. And she just kind of just left it at that. Just stared at both of us. I'll let you figure out whose it is. And so we step away from her desk and I look at this poor fucker straight. I'm like, listen, it's obviously yours. And I'm an asshole. I'm sorry. You take it. I'll own up. Don't. And I was just like, I was mortified that I got caught. Because for some fucking reason, my ignorant ass didn't think that that was a possibility. But lo and behold, this kid is also kind enough and open enough in his heart that he, he's just like, dude, take it. You can have it. Now, inevitably, literally, I'd made, I made him take it. I didn't take his page. But the first friend I made in sixth grade was somebody who I tried to wrong. So one, if it doesn't go to show to the power of forgiveness, that even the, the even later on in that year, the second friend that I ended up making was, 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 well, I guess I didn't make, we weren't friends that year, but 
there's this running adage where people that I don't like end up becoming my friends. Now, this is definitely more middle school, high school adages, because as of right now, it's not the case. If I don't like you, we have nothing to do with each other. But if I do like you, you're, I try to consider that you're well kept within our friend circle. Anyways, running back into the primary point of what the fuck we're talking about today, and this has to do with breaking patterns, parental traumas, weird issues that exist within us because of things that happen to us that we don't always understand. So, when my mom went to marry husband number two, This was kind of like the apex of so much change in our world and in our life. But my little mind as a kid really didn't know what to do. My sister, when my parents split, went to go live with my dad and lived with him for five years until, you know, she fucked around and found out and he sent her back to live with my mom. Well, he didn't just send her back to live with my mom. He sent her back to abhorrently, I mean, I mean, just, just violently destroy the life of me, my brother, and my mom. Because my sister was a goddamn tornado. She sucked away oxygen and attention and space from the room that you couldn't... My, my sister, especially when she was young. Is she like that now? Fuck no. She smokes too much weed. She's chill. She's cool. My sister's all right. But when she was young, especially when she was coming out of that teenage and in that teenage volatility, she was a bitch, mean, cruel, and she ruined my life, especially from the perspective of me then. I loved my life with my with my brother and my mom. Like it was tight. My brother and I would play all the time. We took care of each other. I watched out for him like games my mom did it you know my mom took care of us i just it was it felt like this perfect world and i loved it and my sister came and visibly i remember watching my mom as a kid and i was i would watch her and you know she loved my sister she loves my sister to a fault And I would watch as my mom would do anything for her. She asked if she needed, if she... But my mom, my mom was also competing with my dad. Because my dad, while he was, while he had her, fucker, gave her everything. Any technology, she had the nicest room. I mean, looked like a fucking... It was just, it was a dream. It was some shit you'd never imagine a kid actually having she had. Just, I mean, my dad spoiled her quite literally rotten to the core. But to such a degree that because my parents decided that their children were acceptable um, artillery and ammunition in their war with each other, you know, this competition put my mom into overdrive. Now, my mom is a people pleaser. She loves to make people happy. It's, it's, it's like, I'm not going to say it's her purpose because I think that's fucked up. But it's something that makes her happy is to have other people happy. Something I always idolized about her and I, I, I tried to incorporate to the best of my ability. And she tried so hard to make us all happy. And she did a really good job. My mom and dad did the best that they could do. And I will never fault them for that. But there's consequences to everything. 
when we as parents fail our children, there's consequences that we have to deal with later in life. You don't just get to deal with them because you could justify having to allow them to happen. But so my mom, my mom in, in people pleasing and attempting to find, a, you know, like she really wanted the best for us as a, as a household, as a family. She wanted stability and she couldn't do that on her own. With three kids, it was impossible. My sister was a handful. My brother was a handful. My brother is, a, is, a, is, an, is an interest, another interesting one because who he is now is incredibly different to who he is then and not necessarily for the best. But he was always, I'm not going to say he has a learning disability, but he's, 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 he's on the autistic spectrum with certain social disabilities, where, similar to myself on a level where we have just different aspects to it. Like I just consciously fucking hate people and have certain social anxieties and things that are, that are really tremendous, but I'm very socially aware. My brother is not fucking socially aware. Like he is as socially aware as a goddamn two by a four within a sheetrock. Like I might. It's, it's, it's hard. It hurts. But um, he is mentally one of the most intelligent people you will ever meet. Ever meet. And like, like on a scary level. Like somebody who could calculate the probability of your fucking death. It's terrifying. He's impassioned about you know the shit he's impassioned by and if that whatever it is happens to fall into that category fucking hell he will be a master of it like my sister if she wants something she will have it my mom you know my mom really wants people to be happy she's always wanted people to be happy it's, it's, it's something she does because when people are happy because she, she so she's empathic and i don't know if she's ever if she's if she like has openly connected with this before but she's deeply empathic. And she knows that when other people feel good, she feels good. So her whole life, she's spent it in many spaces trying to make other people happy. Until, you know, into the, the youth of my life, uh, into the, the adolescence of my life, and later in hers, she, you know, she really started to prioritize you know, her happiness. And thank fucking God. It's been a lifetime trying to make other people happy. That's impossible. But man, it should have set an example. It really did. I remember, so I watched my mom as a kid. I watched her straight and struggle and get stressed and almost drink. And it wasn't a drink. Like, my mom wasn't an alcoholic in the degree like she was ever abusive. Or, no, fuck no. My mom was a functioning alcoholic. My whole family is a bunch of functioning addicts. Like, you'd never know. My dad and, and prescription medications that for all intents and purposes you could never, nobody would ever get today. But because he's so, you know, dependent on them that he has to have them. Like, for my grandmother and for my whole fuck, yeah, just me. My family is a bunch of addicts. And we do it well. Like, we function. I'm not saying we function forever, but we function. We, we, we appear as normal as can be, as operable as can be, but that is a facade of, you know, alcohol and narcotic-fueled bliss. Like, even even me, like, as of, like as of right now, my, my general, like, in path of intoxication, I smoke more weed than God. Like, ha-ha, giggle. I'm not joking. 
Doug, I'm not joking. It isn't some level of dependency. What prevents me from doing it is understanding that my the negative behavior of my actions would take me away from my children sooner rather than later. Not because I can't do it. Not because there isn't a drive to do it. But because it's just a battle that at times is greater that way than the other. So like, I get, like, I, I, I embody the very same thing I'm critiquing them for. My mom once up, she's like, I'm going to just drink my dinner tonight. Glass of American honey. I never forget that. That was a little bit later in life. But I watched as she made all these sacrifices until inevitably husband number two came around and, and she felt like, I, I don't know if she was making what was kind of like the grandest sacrifice or if it was a worthwhile offering. But she marries the born-again dipshit pastor from Forest Park Baptist in Joppa, Missouri. God, man, that church... Ugh. Be filled with light. Let's just pick something that sounds great there and is politically correct. Anyways, dipshit number two. He, he just in general, he really tried and he did love, but in a really weird way and for all intents and purposes, was just a really angry rat. Like if a person could be a rat, it was Russell. Russell Ball. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of name dropping happening. Suck if anybody figure I don't give a shit. So she marries him and the thing is that I remember before but this this was this was mm, this is a moment that broke me. So I didn't say shit. I let my mom, you know, favor my other siblings and dedicate her time and her energy. And, and I just smiled. I became the good kid. I did everything in my power to, like, like, no, mom, I got it. I'm tough. I'm strong. Like, you don't need to take care of me. I'll take care of me so you can focus on the other two fuckheads who need more attention. Like, I grew up as a kid so that my mom didn't have to take care of me. I, I did, the, you know, that was my whole goal and my whole focus. I remember, I remember the day, you know, it's like, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember what triggered it, but I was in bed. I was in the, I was in my bedroom or in the garage or whatever. My mom and I got into a conversation. We're talking and she, I, this, this could have been like right after she told me we were going to move and we were basically, we were going to live with Russell. We were going to live with the step, the step, we were getting married. I don't know. I just, I was, mm. whatever happened. And I remember I went to her. And with as much sincerity and integrity and, and, and as, as I could muster as a kid, I eleven, with every ounce and fiber of my being, I begged her not to marry him. I begged, and I mean literally begged. I was wailing and I was crying. I was screaming, don't marry him. And, and I mean, like, to such, like, the, I didn't ask my mom for anything. And obviously that's a lie. You know, I was a kid. I, clearly I would have asked her for things. But, like, I openly and consciously tried to make decisions so that I didn't burden her. 
thought he didn't I didn't have to ask her questions and I remember at this moment I'm like you know it was like mom if, if there was ever any moment you could have listened you know I wanted her I needed you to listen to me or hear me and do something this was it this was one of them this would have been that time and when she didn't, and in fact, in that time, her response to my, my, my behavior, don't get me wrong, I was a dramatic kid. Like, my perspective now is still bound. Like, I understand what she did, and I'm not going to knock her for it. The purpose of this is to explain that it had a lasting impact on me that I, I don't, I'm still discovering to this day. In that moment, my outcry to her became a burden on her and her decision-making process to such a degree that the intent and the motivation behind what caused me to feel the way that I feel was not heard and her response was to the effect of like you know this is what I want and as a parent I've made so many choices for you that as a kid you just don't understand and so that for me to make this decision because I care about this person and I need this person and blah 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 like that 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 was of the greatest priority that as her child I had no right to insinuate such a space to ask such a thing and it broke me It broke me and it to such a degree that I don't I think in, in at that moment and from that time going forward, I don't think I ever asked my mom for anything again. Not in a way that like that that I was emotionally connected to. She was the only means and of course, but like I, I remember from then I felt radically weaponized against like I felt like I was alone. Like whatever, whatever it was in the world, you know, my mom was my person beforehand. I didn't live with my dad. I didn't have my dad. I only saw him in the summer and I, you know, these weird, mo- you know, at the, the seasonal times and those times were filled with materialistic possessions versus time and engagement. And so I didn't, I didn't, I mean, the most masculine energy I had in my life was my Nana. God bless her soul. And When I lost my mom in that space as a confidant, as an ally, I felt alone. I felt alone and I didn't know what pattern to pull from. All of them that I had known before had been broken to such a level that I couldn't trust them. See, the thing is, as kids and as growing souls, minds and consciousness, as adults, as old people, you know, like as, as living beings, we are computers processing data, interpreting patterns within that data and applying them to sensory input and information that we perceive over time. You need patterns. They allow you to learn and to place faith and trust into consistent systems. So, so some of them are unconscious and simple in ways that we, you don't really know right now. And other times they're very clear. When the sun comes up, it goes down. It's a trustable system. You wake up, you go to sleep. But it isn't always that simple. There are patterns that you have been observing in relationships, in nature, in your biology, in your physiology, in your chemistry, In your environment that 
that are affecting you and that have a power to change how you see the world that when you like that you don't realize oftentimes how much these patterns are constraining you keeping you back from doing something until you see them or until you experience a change in the pattern do you know that you could forgive you lived the same day every day your mind at the end of all time would just have only perceived you lived a single day if that pattern never changed your mind won't it would be it would be the most blobless shapeless lack of like you, you would not have the mentals you need change and it's simple when you say it but it's hard to understand it and apply it and when you have relationships and patterns in your mind that are based off of these primordial beginnings in your life here you know relationship with with your parents with family with your world with other people they affect you and when you're trying to correct or change or understand how you move through the world today you can't understand that clearly if you are being affected by patterns that are not valid today so all of this to say one thank you mom thank you dad thank you family for doing all of the things that you did i wouldn't be who i am without you and without all of those and one day there'd be reconciliation, peace, and love in our space as it pervades in all directions like the sun. Until then, salut. Be well, my beautiful, beautiful, attached and beautiful, my favorite digital people. I love you so much. I cherish these times and these chats. Be well. And if you ever need to talk, know that I'm here. Happy to lend a hand, to lend a voice. Thank you for joining us and making it this far in our podcast. Remember that if you want feedback or engagement, or likewise, if you would like to contribute to the content that we create here at Hippie Queen Productions, head over to our Facebook page. Reach out, message us, let us know what you want to see and what kind of things you'd like to engage with. Remember as well that if you're curious, if you want to learn and grow on an esoteric or educational level, we host and teach courses over at howlingwindswellness.com and over on our website, hippiequeenproductions.com. Love you, beautifuls, so much. You really are the reason that we get to do this. We appreciate your time just listening. Be well and be blessed.